Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hello, my name is Charles Ree, Cowan's Healthcare Technology Analyst, and welcome to the Cowan Future Health Podcast. Today's podcast is part of our monthly series that continues Cowan's efforts to bring together thought leaders, innovators, and investors to discuss how the convergence of healthcare, technology, and consumerism is changing the way we look at health, healthcare, and the healthcare system. And in this episode, we'll be discussing the increasing issue of mental health in this country and around the world, and the potential of digital to be a key part of the solution going forward. And to discuss the topic with me is Ofer Leidner, co-founder and president of Happify Health, a global software-enabled healthcare platform that connects mental health with physical health. The Happify Health platform offers a full spectrum of solutions for customers and individuals, including wellness, AI-based coaching, community, as well as combination and standalone prescription digital therapeutics. Ofer, thanks you for uh, joining us today. Hi, Charles. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. You know, to start, I wanted to talk about mental health, uh, which has been an issue for some time, but has only grown more so during this pandemic. Uh, you know, Happify recently published an analysis quantifying the costs of individuals with unrecognized signs of depression. You know, how big of an issue are we facing here? So, Charles, I think that uh, as much as this last couple of years have raised the, the awareness for mental health and uh, have, have um, caused more people to raise their hand, experience what... Uh, uh, what is characterized as a mental health uh, challenge. Um, our analysis shows that even a bigger problem exists with the unrecognized depression uh, symptoms population. Those are essentially people that aren't raising their hands and are walking around with all symptoms, suffering uh, with depression, anxiety, chronic stress, and other mental health conditions that aren't, uh, but aren't getting the right treatment, are stepping forward for a lot of reasons. And um, our data shows that we are talking about one in five people, very similar to the number of diagnosed people. So we were talking about one in five, so 20% of the population that is walking around with diagnosable mental health and getting diagnosed, but we have the same amount of population, uh, slightly less, probably 17%, of the population that is going with unrecognized uh, symptoms of depression. What this means that uh, they show mild to severe depression uh, on clinical assessments. And uh, uh, so, so by all means, if they would have been uh, uh, diagnosed, they would basically categorize as uh, with, with a diagnosis. But walking around without diagnosis has tremendous effect on the system. Uh, first of all, more people uh, are suffering and uh, are challenged by mental health uh, uh, issues. Second, uh, uh, the connection between mental health and physical health has a direct uh, uh, impact on the overall health outcomes of those people. And they tend to be even more expensive for the system. Uh, in fact, for those who are going unrecognized, uh, uh, depression, they would carry 39% higher cost uh, uh, in their overall healthcare costs compared to those who are walking around with diagnosis and getting treated. And, and, and you know, when we think about that, uh, you know, what, what are some of these broader implications even beyond cost when, you, when you're talking about treating chronic conditions along with, uh, you know, uh, depression and anxiety? 
Yeah, so, so you know, we, we can uh, talk about, uh, you know, specific health, uh, health outcomes. You know, we've been always at Pampify very focused about thinking about mental health in a broader context than just the primary indication. So stress, anxiety, depression, uh, the episodic nature of uh, mental health obviously has tremendous uh, toll on, on individuals, on societies, on, uh, on the healthcare system. But if you're looking at the broader context whereby you know that there is a uh, well-documented, uh, validated connection between physical health and mental health, you could see the, uh, the impact. You know, there's one uh, recent study that I've seen from uh, Cleveland Clinic that found that people that have signs of depression following heart attack were five times more likely to die within six months. So, you know, imagine a person that is you know, had a heart attack, has depression, and has not been uh, diagnosed or recognized for their depression. They're more likely to die from the physical condition. Uh, mortality rate for those people went up from 3% to 17%. Um, those are people that the existence of depression uh, uh, going unrecognized, untreated, uh, can cause significant uh, deterioration and acceleration of physical diseases. Uh, uh, and that is something that uh, uh, I think uh, is, is kind of not often kind of addressed or, or brought to the main uh, awareness of, of that cohort of unrecognized depressive symptom population. Uh, one, one of the things that uh, we have looked in this um, in the study that we published, we've looked at the, uh, uh, and try, try to assess how large this group is, understand the impact uh, of that uh, kind of unrecognized depression on their direct healthcare costs, and then understand persistent unrecognized depression uh, among people with different chronic conditions. Where is this problem most uh, significant? And in terms of the um, direct cost uh, aspect, um, we found out that uh, uh, an individual with unrecognized symptoms of depression would, average would have an average cost for the system of about $10,000 in direct healthcare cost. And if you are recognized, the cost is still going to be higher than if you have no depressive symptoms, it would be $7,500 on average direct cost. So we're talking about 38% more expensive uh, 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 individual from a pure healthcare cost. Now, when you apply that into the suffering, where you apply that into um, you know, the impact on the physiological connection uh, between the mind and body, uh, we think this is a pretty serious uh, um, uh, effect that needs to be addressed. I know, again, in the pandemic, we were very lucky to kind of highlight uh, that they need to better mental health support and address a lot of issues around uh, stigma, access, convenience of care, uh, and, and address some of the shortage in uh, uh, providers. But, but uh, we have a, as great and as uh, significant problem with unrecognized depression. Those are people walking around in our uh, uh, among us, next to us, and they're suffering and they carry all the, the, the effects, they just haven't been identified and aren't treated. Um, and that's an impact on the system. You know, Ofer, you, you know, you don't come from a healthcare background. Um, you know, how did you find yourself 
you know, coming to try to tackle this disconnect between mental and physical health? Yeah, so I, I kind of, uh, so I've been on a journey with Happify for the past nine years, uh, came to healthcare as one of the earlier kind of digital guys that was uh, kind of interested in trying to take and apply what I've learned in, in, in the digital uh, uh, world and bringing into healthcare more, more specifically. Uh, I've spent uh, with my co-founding partner for Happify about eight years prior building a fairly large casual games company. For those who aren't familiar, casual games are those small, uh, uh, simple games that simply drive uh, uh, through uh, uh, persuasive design, through behavior change models, uh, 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 behaviors. Uh, and often those behaviors in gaming leads to uh, excessive use, uh, those mechanisms of action may lead, in, uh, may lead eventually to addiction. Uh, it's simply a highly optimized uh, behavior change loops that are designed to drive uh, a sense of pleasure, uh, mechanism of action that drive dopamine infusion, and then you, you're kind of hooked to your screen. Uh, we've done that at scale uh, in our previous company, over 60 million monthly uniques on the platform. But then I realized that uh, they're probably not the best use of uh, my time and the talent that we've built in kind of creating those experiences and really try to identify an industry where we thought that uh, if we could only take some of the level of engagement that we're able to drive in that kind of gaming experience platform that we've built and apply and help those individuals that spends that spent uh, enormous amount of time with us, by the way. At the time, I remember looking uh, prior to a board meeting, we kind of calculated and found that people spent on our platform about 21 billion uh, hours a year. If you divide it by number of unique users, it was 14 days per year per gamer on this platform. And we basically said, hey, if I can get people to come and interact with our platform for eight years, for eight times a day, uh, maybe there's a better way to apply those skills and drive people towards healthier behaviors and just kind of uh, uh, entertainment value. Nothing wrong with the gaming industry. It's a great industry, but we thought that we can take some of those uh, principles of uh, engagement design, uh, behavior change, and try to marry it with evidence-based uh, science and create experience that change healthcare uh, on, uh, on, on a digital platform and doing it at scale. The idea of focusing on mental health was really kind of uh, came again from being an outsider and thinking about what would be the best way to engage uh, the broader base population. And the insight that we had there is that like it or not, at any given time, uh, most of us will experience depressive symptoms uh, at some point in our lives. Most of us uh, would just experience episodic uh, um, experience. So you could get overstressed, you could get uh, anxious, you could get uh, uh, depressed episodically. But if I'm looking for a way to engage uh, the broadest uh, base population into healthcare, mental health wouldn't be a place uh, a bad place to start. So that was the, the origin of why mental health. And then I would say that uh, I've long been uh, kind of fascinated by the uh, clinical evidence um, connection between mental state and physical health. Um, you know, in some practice of medicine, Eastern medicine, this has been a well-known linkage for 1500 years. In the Western medicine, uh, maybe less of. Uh, 
But I think that today the mechanism of actions that uh, make the connection between your mental state uh, and your physical, uh, physiological kind of response to stress, anxiety, depression are so clear and validated. Uh, ultimately, the, the insight that we had from a clinical uh, uh, care point of view was to use the central nervous system that essentially regulates through the two nervous systems, uh, the body, the, the, the physiological system, the emotional system into state of homeostasis. And by applying behavioral interventions, you could actually see results on physiological endpoints. So some things that are pretty kind of well-known and obvious, uh, if you are stressed uh, and have an autoimmune response, skin disorders, you will see greater level of, uh, of flare-ups. If you are dealing with uh, inflammatory conditions, cardiovascular conditions, autoimmune uh, diseases, you could actually apply that mechanism of action. And that to me was a much broader way of thinking about mental health. Uh, significant importance to treat it as a primary indication. Too many people walking around suffering, we can help them with various types of uh, evidence-based practices. But if you really wanna make the dent, the impact, you have to go broader in, at least in our mind than just treating the, the mental health uh, as a single mm -hmm. indication. Yeah. Uh, so then maybe it's a great segue here to, you know, jump into and, and see, maybe you can give us a brief overview of Happify's uh, core offerings and, and how they link together. Yeah, sure. So, so we, we're kind of, uh, you know, over the years have built what we like to call today intelligent healing platform. Essentially, we are, uh, we've built a stack of software uh, services and enable us to drive patients through those uh, services in a patient-centric approach. So we build set of services that drive um, uh, engagement uh, through wellness solutions. So evidence-based intervention that we are able to attract people onto this experience. We then uh, build Anna, which is an AI engine that allows us to really help patients navigate through uh, health uh, condition. Anna is, uh, is trained in, in, in supporting people through a uh, clinical protocol with understanding of an ability to converse, to understand what would be the next best step for that individual. That is Anna. Anna is uh, trained to support patients with MS, trained to support patients with mental health. We have a very interesting uh, patent on uh, this technology about adherence fidelity understanding psychological tra traits that will give us indication if, if an individual is adhering to specific modality versus another. Um, next, we built uh, care journey solutions. We call it COPA. This is essentially a platform that enables us to intelligently engage and help patients navigate through their care journey. Uh, COPA is a platform, I like to think about what COPA is to healthcare, is what Expedia is to travel, everything that a patient needs in one place, uh, what I couldn't uh, understand coming to healthcare from the world that I came from is how did we create a very siloed uh, uh, point solution rich type of environment, but never stop to think about the patient experience and how can we actually put in front of the individual uh, the right uh, thing that they need at that given time. That might be interaction with uh, 
other members in the community that are going through similar situation, that might be interaction with uh, clinicians, HCPs, that might be behavioral interventions, that might be content and information that helps uh, uh, with, with the help of machine learning, optimize towards where people are in their journey and then where they're going and where do we uh, want them to go. And then last but not least is our digital therapeutics uh, offering. We have built on this platform an array of solutions that are all taking the same clinical mechanism of action. Uh, let's intervene with behavioral interventions and look at uh, endpoints that are both mental uh, and physical uh, as secondary endpoints. And we're able to build those products and um, essentially address specific disease areas on an end-to-end -end, uh, platform. The core principles of this uh, approach is what we call the precision, precision care or precision engine, which basically speaks about the need to drive uh, patients with much more real-time information about where they are in the journey and what is the best action uh, for them to take. So we can on this platform create uh, journeys around specific disease areas uh, uh, and drive people through this vision of uh, Engage, intelligent engagement, uh, connectivity to services, and uh, software as medicine, digital therapeutics. You, you know, you've reported that your evidence-based behavior change platform can lead to uh, a 25% reduction in symptoms of anxiety and depression. Maybe, you know, given the pieces that you just talked about, you know, can you give us an example of like how somebody, you know, coming, you know, coming onto the Happify platform would would kind of touch uh, you know, sort of each of these points, um, you know, maybe somebody with psoriasis, you know, you know how, how, how does somebody experience this? Yeah, so, so let, let's take the example of psoriasis as, as an example, because that, that's kind of a journey that is very much sitting in that category of uh, therapeutic areas, which uh, sits fair and square within where we think we can drive a lot of value. So for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, Psoriasis, it's an autoimmune disorder uh, characterized by uh, skin, uh, uh, skin disorder. And typically because of this consistent uh, need to deal with skin disorders, uh, there's social anxiety and over time you would see depression. The journey of uh, patients with psoriasis is typically long and characterized by uh, having to switch between therapies. Every few years they begin with over-the-counter uh, creams, they will then go into uh, uh, prescribed creams, then typically would go into light therapy and eventually will get into the stage of biologics, which, you know, try to uh, support the disease by, by kind of suppressing mechanisms uh, uh, in the immune system that attack the skin and create the disorder. Uh, one of the key linkages uh, among the, the, this particular disease is the, is the fact that stress uh, and anxiety actually elevate the autoimmune response of the uh, body, uh, which will end up being with elevated skin disorder and flare-ups. So ultimately, the way we designed the experience, uh, we decided to go and create uh, first-in-kind, first-in-market, and today the, the, the leading psoriasis uh, uh, care platform, and it's kind of broader than psoriasis, it's uh, dermatology, uh, but ultimately a patient that uh, deals with that disease would be able to find uh, COPA for psoriasis. They will 
uh, find it in various uh, channels and in various ways where we market this offering, they would be able to go on this platform as we onboard those patients, we would really get a very good view towards where they are in their journey. How long have they been with the, with the disease? Who's the, uh, the, are they treated by PCP or are they treated by dermatologists? Uh, what is the severity level of their disease? Uh, what type of treatment stage they are on and how uh, aware they are of the different solutions they have. And with that in set of information, we can really start personalizing their journey uh, in, in supporting their uh, uh, disease. So for example, if we determine that the individual uh, is falling in the moderate to severe category in, uh, in this uh, journey, but they're still getting treated by their PCP, that is likely an off-protocol treatment. The outcome is going to be suboptimal for that individual. So we can then, based on that kind of knowledge of the, of the care protocol, understanding of uh, where people are on this platform, can start tailoring uh, along this journey, different types of activities and modalities. Activities may be uh, a decision that will be made by a machine learning engine that is very sophisticated. Hey, the first thing that we wanna do with that individual is help them understand that there are other patients that are going through the same exact experience. Let's uh, surface a, an interaction uh, with patients in the same uh, journey. Another behavior could be, uh, let's kind of provide content and educate people about the availability of, uh, of uh, different therapies along this journey. Uh, they could be interacting on this platform with dermatologists, uh, certified dermatologists uh, uh, that may provide them guidance or answer to questions. Those dermatologists aren't prescribing, they are not providing specific medical advice, but often the case, and in our kind of desire to remove barriers to getting healthcare and advance people in their care, uh, we, we, we thought that kind of allowing uh, uh, people to log on and get a free access to be able to ask dermatologists uh, a question would not be a bad way to engage, uh, to engage uh, people into taking care of their need. Another good example, many people drop off the uh, journey that they have uh, in their disease management because they lose hope. They basically have switched many, many therapies. Nothing really worked for them. They haven't found the right thing and they basically lose hope that their situation can be improved. And that causes suboptimal kind of outcome. They're not managed, their, um, their, their psoriasis can get uh, uh, more severe and, and advanced. And uh, maybe with that individual, we may wanna kind of help weave in behavioral intervention that help them drive sense of optimism, help them drive uh, self-efficacy, which is a major, major kind of theme in how we're thinking about healthcare. It needs to be a patient-led healthcare uh, so why don't we weave in behavioral intervention to help? That is kind of the algorithm that constantly runs and looks for the best care options for individuals. Uh, and we've been, yeah, sorry, you had a question. Oh, I'm just gonna, I just wanted to ask, you know, in this example, you're saying if a patient is moderate to severe, this is, this is a self-reported um, diagnosis. The, the patient is identifying that their psoriasis is moderate to severe. You mentioned that 
you know, perhaps if they're just still seeing a PCP, that's a suboptimal outcome for them or suboptimal care for them. Um, you know, you talked about providing access to maybe dermatologists to pro uh, provide some advice. You know, are you able to help, uh, you know, guide them or direct them, particularly for maybe employer customers, you know, to help, you know, recommend, you know, specialist care uh, that this, pay, you know, this member, you know, probably could benefit from, uh, you know, more advanced care? Yes. Yeah, so so the, the way we kind of advance people on this kind of care journey, so I described the example of how this care journey protocol works. Uh, but obviously, the next phase of that is connectivity to, uh, to, to different service providers. We do not provide the services ourselves. Uh, we do provide the software as medicine application. So, for example, if we are interested in uh, improving uh, the mental health of that uh, individual with psoriasis while helping them reduce flare-ups uh, because their stress level will go down, that will be a software solution that will be part of that, uh, we call them sequences. Those are these end-to-end -end digital care uh, framework. But what's important in the way we deploy those solutions, we deploy them in partnership with um, ecosystem participants. And those ecosystem participants could be uh, uh, employers, could be uh, health plans, could be uh, uh, pharma companies. What we want to do is to uh, take that uh, uh, highly engaging and sophisticated framework that we've built and algorithms that help us drive care and connect it into existing care that is uh, enabled for individuals based on their eligibility, based on their services. So for example, if we would work with a health plan, uh, they have pretty good access on the health plan side into e-network, uh, dermatologists and services, we would uh, authenticate that individual as a member of a eligible uh, network and then offer them the services. All that we actually do here, I'm, I'm saying all because the, the impact of doing it right is just uh, uh, pretty, pretty impressive, but all that we're doing here is kind of using a highly engaging framework uh, and data that helps us understand where people are. One of the problem in healthcare uh, is that the data that we actually often operate and, and take actions on, on, uh, on is just an aged uh, data. It sits in the EMR, it's uh, episodic uh, data. And uh, what we're doing with this kind of set of digital platforms that are connected and driving uh, uh, patient behaviors it's just feeding off uh, uh, near real-time data that is often the most actionable data. So for example, on that uh, psoriasis journey that I've, um, I've described to you, uh, while patients uh, self-report their, uh, th their condition, they're pretty standard uh, um, kind of assessment to understand and evaluate the severity level of the disease. What percentage of your body is covered? Uh, are you, uh, where are the areas of, uh, of, of uh, uh, psoriasis that you are covered? Uh, those are things that uh, essentially can be captured pretty effectively through uh, patient reported data. And then this platform is also uh, in, in kind of uh, other instances is connected into claims data and, and things that allow us to actually uh, take the best that we know uh, on the patients from the EMR, 
with explicit consent, match it with another layer of data that is created by the patient with consent and trust, and then act on this data and advance and improve care. Um, we, we're really kind of thinking about what we're doing as a system rather than a point solution, rather than a mm -hmm. point platform. This is an open uh, API platform. So we often uh, would have solutions that uh, are not provided by Happify, but right, uh, right so for their own rights, uh, provide great solution in specific disease areas or, or therapies that we're involved in. Maybe talk about, right, because I, I think at the core of a lot of what you're providing, right, is the behavioral intervention, right, in support of the, you know, any of these kind of chronic conditions that, you know, somebody might be suffering from, you know, psoriasis being an example. Talk a little bit more about the, the behavioral intervention part uh, that you're providing. You know, what does that kind of entail? Uh, you know, how, how long is a, a, you know, a course of therapy and, you know, I, I know that currently your solutions are, are over the counter, uh, but you know, you're also trying to, you, you, are, you have a developing pipeline uh, for prescription digital therapeutics or PDTs. You know, maybe talk about your strategy in this regard. Yeah, so on the therapeutic side, uh, because of the way we kind of wrote and built this platform, we have the ability to develop uh, products with different uh, 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 clinical rigor and, and uh, claims that we're going after. And each of those require different kind of configuration and different validation. But on this platform, we can develop what we call uh, enforcement discretion products, which essentially are used to manage symptoms. So that's the claim level. It's still, uh, um, you know, you need to develop it on QMS. You need to be compliant with all the requirements of the regulator, but you are not uh, required to submit for uh, clearance. Uh, and in this category, we, we basically work on solutions in disease areas. This is typically the first step that we're taking in, uh, in a category. Uh, from there, we are kind of, as we see the category of digital therapeutics evolve, we do think that prescribed digital therapeutics is an interesting category. Uh, you know, the category is still forming. There are uh, still barriers that need to be addressed, but... Uh, uh, we are very bullish on software as medicine as a category. And then the question is, uh, do you go uh, prescribe therapeutics first, which basically means you have to work through reimbursements, you have to work through physician education. We think that this would take time. So our approach is, yes, we have products that we built into this category. Those are products that essentially have treatment claims. Uh, one of the products that we've announced uh, in this category is Ensemble which is the first of uh, its kind transdiagnostic product, which has uh, a label that calls for improvement for treatment of MDD, major depressive disorder and gut, which is the general anxiety disorder. Those products basically go through, are built on a similar platform, but go through uh, different uh, kind of clinical validation, clinical trial, then uh, enforcement discretion management of symptoms. We, we, we think that the way we kind of uh, approach this is a, uh, a portfolio of uh, therapeutics. And in some categories, we would go uh, non-prescribed uh, uh, enforcement discretion. Uh, in some categories, we go prescribed. Uh, when you build the platform the way we have built it, you have the flexibility to develop uh, products uh, uh, to address those different needs. Uh, I can tell you that the work that we're doing with uh, uh, a uh, our payer customers uh, work that we're doing with uh, 
pharma typically start with enforcement discretion and then can lead into other higher claims categories. Uh, but both products fall in the MLR. So, you know, uh, the only difference is kind of uh, what, uh, the, what type of uh, uh, channel you bring this to the market and what type of uh, reimbursement model you work, uh, you work towards. Yeah, I, you know, and, and then when we think about the behavioral intervention that you guys are providing, uh, you know, there's others in the space, right? Um, you know, treating other other areas, right? Um, but, you know, kind of using kind of tenants of, you know, so far we've seen largely around cognitive behavioral therapy. Is this something that you guys are employing within the, within, within your behavioral interventions or, or are there other kind of types of, uh, um, you know, methods that you're employing? Yeah, so, so we're basically our approach in kind of uh, applying the science and the clinical uh, uh, interventions. Uh, we are taking eight different uh, care modalities, CBC is primary, uh, uh, mindfulness, uh, activation therapy. Uh, uh, the principle has to be, it is clinically validated, meta-analyzed, uh, used by clinicians in the field. We are not in the business of inventing science. There are companies that are trying to invent and validate interventions. We are in the translation of uh, 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 validated science. Uh, our expertise is taking that uh, translation and do it in a way that engages patients on those therapies for uh, the, the, the required time, which, you know, as, as you know, in, uh, in digital uh, health, 90% uh, of the applications in the market would not withhold 30 days retention at 5%. Five, uh, 5 so we worked for many, many years to apply what we've learned in gaming and engagement design into applications that sustain uh, uh, very long retention, uh, retention curves. Um, our uh, month's 30 retention rate on this platform is at 37%. Mm -hmm. uh, months, uh, I'm sorry, months 24. So two years retention is 37% retention. Uh, three years retention rate, those are the long cohorts that we have are at 30%. That's where the curve uh, flattens pretty much. Uh, and those are best in class internet grade retention rates applied into clinical protocols. What this allows you to do is really kind of start thinking about longitudinal care, uh, uh, treatment of episode versus maintenance, and, and more informed uh, form of care that is done because you have that engagement. When I came to healthcare, I wanted to solve three problems. I want to bring the level of engagement that we're engaging with other digital technologies into healthcare. I wanted to help design a better system than uh, a system that is essentially closed loop uh, point solution, which would eventually implode with too many of those solutions underutilized, not coordinating uh, uh, a better care. Uh, and that's the second problem. And the third is the software as medicine, uh, not for everything, not for all, but as a growing number of conditions and populations that you can actually provide um, very decent digital care with products that would help, un help unlock the uh, you know, the provider demand challenge, this isn't getting better. Uh, the needs is growing on the system. Mm -hmm. You've got to figure out a way to uh, scale healthcare with software when possible. 
Yeah, you know, you, you touched on the engagement uh, metrics that you just provided. Maybe talk a little bit more about how you are engaging, and maybe I'm simplifying it. I think a lot of people use the term gamification as as a method of uh, activating it and engaging, uh, you know, members uh, or patients here. Maybe I'm oversimplifying in the case of, of Happify, but you know, maybe talk about you know how, how are you maintaining this level of engagement? What, what what are the what are some of the tools that you use to keep people you know continue to use your products? Yeah, so, so that, that's something we could probably spend a week talking about in a, in a different settings because that, that has been a passion in this company. But uh, basically coming from the gaming industry, uh, where, where we, we, we literally optimize for having people coming eight times a day to our application because we knew that within 30 days they're gone into the, uh, onto their next experience, we actually needed to work uh, in a different way here. We first needed to understand what are the engagement mechanisms that may have been very, very successful in gaming, but have no place in, uh, in healthcare. So for example, uh, competitive uh, uh, mechanism, very relevant for gaming, completely irrelevant and would discourage people from taking care uh, of the healthcare. So this is a mechanism that we actually had to tune down. Another uh, question that we asked ourselves early in the journey, uh, are we talking about immersive experiences within game or are we talking about mechanics that drive uh, uh, engagement and reward people for behaviors? We concluded that the latter is the right approach if we don't want to take the risk on a, on a heat-driven nature that immersive experience has. And we kind of kept those into interventions that you know we, we, we limit our uh, risk on the um, game uh, uh, design onto specific interventions, not on the system. Uh, the other very important thing is most a lot of people think about engagement as uh, uh, a simple way to nudge people enough time so they uh, come to come to the site. And the reality is that people get fatigued, tired, and eventually shut you down if you do it without kind of uh, thoughtful methodology of how, why, and uh, when. Um, and, and ultimately, one of the key principles that has often be, uh, been uh, overlooked in our mind is the correct exchange between information that is given to you by the user and the value that they see immediately on the platform. So we all talk about uh, in gaming power-ups and rewards. Uh, how do we translate those in principles from gaming into healthcare while maintaining the clinical protocol? So for example, I need some information that helps me engage people into the care, but I don't need it all. This is not a data collection exercise. A lot, I've seen so many designs that just kind of, you look at it and you say, this would never work. People would never give you that information when they onboard the experience. That's one. So the individual gave me some information how do I immediately turn this information into something that provides value and easy to engage with? Principle of gaming, right? Easy to engage with, hard to master. So the easy to engage with, we need to put in front of the individual the first intervention that we know in high likelihood that they would adhere to and that would start driving value. What is the value is I feel better. What is the value? I got valuable information, something that I didn't know before. All of those kind of principles, and I just gave you a few of those kind of consideration, translated into 
years and years of experience that was built onto the platform and then tedious optimization. I, I always like to tell people, you need to know everything that there is to know about this, implement it correctly, test it correctly, and then have some luck and kind of just see that it's working. Uh, there's no shortcuts here. Uh, it's a complex task and, you know, uh, gladly we were able to achieve those over time, uh, interaction with millions of users, interaction with users across different cohorts. So we have uh, solutions that are provided to commercial population. We have solution that we worked for years to validate um, with, with uh, Kate population, the elderies, uh, preconceived notion, uh, older people do not engage with digital solutions, wrong assumption. Uh, they engage with it, but they need certain things that, you know, we would otherwise see younger population engage primarily through the apps. They use mostly web applications. Uh, how to engage uh, Medicaid population, which has a tremendous uh, challenge around trust in the system, access to the system. Uh, th this is the knowledge that we brought in and kind of mm -hmm. applied it uh, systematically onto the framework that we're working around. Yeah, that's really interesting, and 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 certainly it looks like you, you you've done a lot in this regard. You know, as we're kind of coming up maybe towards the end here, you've touched on it a couple of times where you see software as a medicine, and you know we've talked a little bit about prescription digital therapeutics. You know, certainly not for everything, but it sounds like there it, it does look like there's a growing number of conditions where digital and software can be a meaningful intervention. Uh, to either, you know, support or even, um, you know, modify uh, these disease progression here, you know. So, you know, where where do you see this going then? You know, what what, what do you see happening in the next five to ten years? You, you talked about some of the structural challenges that probably need to get resolved. I mean, is, is this something that you see happening within the next, you know, five years, or do you think this is going to take a, a really long time? You know, are, are we looking ten years and beyond? You know, may, maybe put your uh, prognosticator hat on a little bit and you know how do you see things uh, panning, uh you know playing out over the next um, you know for several years yeah so so i think the uh one of the things that i've learned coming to healthcare after nearly a, the first decade is that to drive innovation typically takes 10 years uh from the moment you start if you look at telemedicine if you look at emrs um and the curves typically kind of in 10 years you got decent uh uh, decent penetration. So you need to, to be patient and realize that it takes time to drive uh, innovation through a system that is generally uh, misaligned and has a lot of uh, um, uh, challenges to solve. When it comes to the prescription digital therapeutics, I think that the, you know, uh, looking at the last couple of years, definitely seeing improvement in the kind of regulatory pathway. There's clarity about what do you need to do to clear a product, um, uh, you see it in, in, in with the FDA, you see it in, in other markets, you know, the DIGA program in Germany, definitely you start getting a better clarity on, on the, the regulatory pathways to achieve what you need. Where I think we still have a, a way to go is um, uh, convincing health plans that software is a medicine and therefore should not be um, should not be treated in a more strict uh, way than medications are kind of uh, evaluated for efficacy uh, 
in the market. So there's way to work there. I think there's progress. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a bi-directional learning experience because you know as payers become clearer about what they need to see from companies to reimburse, uh, companies learn how to design the, the evidence that they're generating in a better way. Uh, you know. Uh, and then the last uh, place, which, which I think still uh, requires uh, work, is the physician adoption. As you know, physicians are, um, are conservative by their view. They should. Uh, physician adoption is going to take time. I think that the prescribed digital therapeutics uh, probably in the next five years would work through those issues. Uh, and, and by that time, we're going to start seeing portfolio of products that are really providing the uh, answer to unmet needs, uh, the clinical evidence, the uh, value evidence and distribution models. So, so I think that that is a category that is here to stay. It uh, represents tremendous opportunity. It will take time. Uh, we are kind of, uh, because of the way we've built our platform, think that uh, we do not need to bet the farm on a single kind of pathways with prescribed digital therapeutics. There are other ways to drive value from those in, 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 and get reimbursed, uh, uh, not through the kind of uh, reimbursement. Uh, ultimately, if we provide clinical value and uh, HOR value uh, to a payer and they decide to uh, contract with us directly, um, that, that's and, and sponsor their population for that kind of therapeutics. This is a viable path for us. Uh, uh, and others are doing it with employer channels. There are going to be multiple paths of reimbursement. But I think that for this category to fulfill on its promise, you, we need to kind of continue to um, work as an industry uh, and collaborate and learn from each other companies uh, among themselves, companies and stakeholders in the category. But anyone that is bet on software to, uh, to, to drive greater value in as medicine and in healthcare is in my mind, uh, uh, betting on something that is going against something that is unavoidable. Uh, software will support uh, uh, clinical outcomes. Software will support better behaviors. Uh, it has been proven, it has been done. It's now making its way through adoption in the industry. Great. And I think with that, I, that's a great way to end it. Um, you know, Ofer, uh, really enjoyed this conversation and uh, really appreciate uh, the time you, you spent with us today. Um, you know, looking forward to, you know, seeing the, the, the progress that Happify makes and uh, really uh, want to thank you for uh, spending time with us. Yeah, thank you, Charles. Great to be here. Uh, appreciate the time. Enjoy the conversation as well. Great. And, and thanks, everyone, for uh, listening in and hope you uh, uh, check us out on, on future podcasts. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.